episode 344, The High Cost of Generic Drugs. Today, I speak with Stephen Quimby, MD. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I was on LinkedIn and someone was saying, oh, there's no real money in generic drugs. It's not a huge issue if patients are paying like 10 bucks instead of 93 cents for something. It's not like anyone is getting rich off of that. And it's not like patient impact here is super meaningful. This is a pretty common refrain, actually. And from a conventional wisdom perspective, I get it, especially for those living comfortable middle or upper middle class lives where an extra $9.07 for a prescription isn't a huge deal. Except there are big time issues with the generic supply chain that are worth billions and billions of dollars and that have a major impact on patient health. So let's discuss. I started casting my eye over to what was going on on the generic drug front, mainly because of the huge lawsuits in the news lately that were either filed and or settled. Generic drug manufacturers are and have been the defendants in these lawsuits accused of price collusion, amongst other things. These lawsuits aren't fighting over chump change either, unless you consider hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars as chump change, that is. The number of zeros on the table in these lawsuits may strike you as they did me as a factor of interest. I mean, we're talking about generic drugs here. The cost of goods on these drugs. There was a WHO study on this. And the cost of goods to manufacture a small molecule generic is like a lot of times pennies. Further, there's no innovation undertaken by generic manufacturers in their manufacture of generic meds. Just so no one gets confused here, the rationale branded pharma manufacturers tout for high cost branded, i.e. new drugs, is that branded pharma manufacturers have to spot the R&D, the research and development dollars, to come up with the new therapies, and they take a lot of risk therein. Generic manufacturers, on the other hand, are getting a recipe that has been handed down to them. There is no R&D, there is no innovation. So to restate the situation analysis, we have generic manufacturers spending no money on innovation and enjoying many times a low cost of goods. If the price were set using a cost plus methodology, you'd expect the prices paid by payers and patients to be correspondingly low, except they aren't. Depending on what study you look at, somewhere between 29% and 44% of patients who have been prescribed a med say they aren't taking it because it is unaffordable. Considering that 90% of the prescriptions written in this country are for generics, one could logically assume that there's some generics in that mix that are unaffordable due to their high prices. But there's a compounding factor here. The patient affordability problem has another aspect to it beyond just patients having to pay a portion or all of the price of a generic meds that may be, let's just say, higher than one might expect them to be given the cost of goods. But here's this other factor. The share of patient out-of-pocket is weirdly high when it comes to generics. Consider that generics and branded generics account for 19% of invoice-level spending, but represent 65% of patient out-of-pocket costs. That's per Acuvia. So that seems out of whack. But keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, that 90% of prescriptions written in this country are for generics. That's 5 billion scripts a year. As my guest today, Stephen Quimby, MD, says, generic medications touch many more lives than new branded drugs. 
Obviously, GoodRx comes up in the conversation today. If you want to learn more about pharmacy list prices and how GoodRx makes money, listen to the conversation I had with G. Bai, episode 306. Also, Ask an Expert 13. Several people actually mentioned on LinkedIn and Twitter that hers was one of the best explanations they had heard on these topics. So I recommend those shows. The show also with Vinay Patel dives pretty deeply into the what's the what between PBMs and pharmacies. That's episode 241 if you're looking for more on that. Dr. Quimby today also mentions how important it could be for providers to know at the point of prescribing what the cost of medications are for a patient and get this information right in their EHR system. So refer to the episode with Carm Huntress for more info on that. All these links are in the show notes. Today's guest, as I said, Stephen Quimby, MD, is an author and newly retired physician. His father was a pharmacist with a little drugstore that thrived in the late 60s and early 70s, so he literally grew up in the business. Dr. Quimby recently wrote a book called Billions in Your Generic Drugs. In sum, it's a supply chain where not only is nobody watching the hen house, but everybody within that supply chain has a very, very vested interest to see prices go up. This is kind of a theme in healthcare, but nonetheless. Oh, and one last point to ponder before we get started here. Dr. Quimby mentions at one point that 86% of Americans believe that their health insurance plan always offers the lowest price for a generic. And 67% of people, two-thirds of people in this country, have never heard of GoodRx or other shopping tools. So yeah, really makes you realize you live in a bubble. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Stephen Quimby, MD, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you. Lots of lawsuits going on in this generic drug space. There seems to be a lot of money involved. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of money. And just last week, three generic drug manufacturers agreed to pay over $400 million to resolve some potential liability for price fixing after a DOJ investigation. And that's not the first such settlement. Just in the last year, there was another one of $200 million or so. The really big one, as I follow it, is that in May of 2019, 44 states' attorney generals charged the 20 largest generic drug manufacturers with alleged collusion and price fixing. This was over more than 100 drugs and potentially involved billions of dollars in overcharges just to public programs like Medicaid. And then Humana followed up by October 2019 with the suit against 37 generic drug manufacturers. Wow. So it's price fixing. That's the major allegation here that all of these for hundreds of millions of dollars have to do with price fixing. Yes. In the case of these suits against the manufacturers, but it's surprising. Sometimes it doesn't even involve a large number of drugs or even multiple manufacturers at a very large scale. But it's amazing how quick the numbers add up in generic drugs, because as we'll probably get a chance to talk about, the scale is just incredible. We've got patients who are saying, hey, doc, I went to fill this generic medication from, you know, 1950 or something. 
and it's surprisingly unaffordable. Generic drugs that, as you say, have been around for decades and are supposed to be our most affordable and most accessible medications. And that's why the doctors use them so much. But yet the prices were getting into the hundreds of dollars for something that you might have expected would have been more in the range of $30 or something. If I was a major payer for drugs like employers and benefit sponsors, I'd want to know answers. The vast majority of drugs that are are prescribed in this country are, in fact, generics. But how much does this country spend on generics? Well, the scale's tremendous. Now, I know there's a lot of money on new drugs, but we have to remember that since 90% of the prescriptions written in the U.S. are for generic drugs, they touch many more patient lives than the new brand drugs do. There's over 10,000 generics. There are all those decades of drug advancement. And so now, since there are about 6 billion prescriptions per year in America for drugs, we have over 5 billion prescriptions per year being written for those generic drugs. So just think, even if they're all just a few dollars, which they are not by the time they get through the drug supply chain, it's still billions of dollars flowing to this industry annually. All right. So this is not a small potato, in other words, from what I understand. Not by my definition. Yeah, I don't think by anybody's definition. Well, let me just toss in this wrinkle because we've got GoodRx, we've got Amazon. So is that a counterforce that we have going on at, at this moment in time that, you know, everybody knows that you can shop for the best price for a generic, for example. You can go on Amazon, you can go on GoodRx. There's other shopping tools also and find the cheapest cash price for generic. There's a couple of problems there as I see it, Stacy. Number one is those are really coming in right at the end. So basically both those uh, corporations, GoodRx and even Amazon now, they're needing to use a PBM to supply that price to you. So really, again, they're coming in at the very end of the chain. And then there's another huge problem in the sense that certainly in 2019, when they were asked, 86% of respondents believed that health insurance plans always offer the best price for their prescriptions, that they don't even need to shop. Just go and pick it up and pay the price. And then they found that 67% of Americans had never even heard of GoodRx and other websites or apps that search for best drug prices. I really worried as a physician, we must remember medication use is heavily skewed towards older patients or patients with chronic conditions. I think right now, virtually everyone should be checking a site like that and seeing what price they can get compared to their insurance price. Because a study showed that 25% of the time, you get a better price from one of those sites and paying cash, but it still doesn't address some of my concerns about the whole chain and what might be happening to our major payers. Just are they paying too much for their generic drugs? What you just said, there are enough instances where the cash price is actually less than the insurance price that makes you scratch your head and question. Six percent of us think that insurance price, of course, intuitively should be our best price. That's why we bought the insurance, right? Right. You'd think that's where your premium dollars were going, but... Yes, yes. Let's dig into this a little bit. You've called the the generic drug industry the generic drug industrial complex, which 
sits behind a lot of the issues that we've just sort of teed up. One of them is why is the cash price cheaper than the insurance price? Another one, there's kind of a bewildering array of prices for the same generic. You know, like if it's one compound, one molecule, maybe even from the same manufacturer, why does the price vary all over the place? Another one, what sits behind the ability for these massive lawsuits, you know, just the actions that precipitated those lawsuits to sort of happen in the first place. So why don't we follow the dollar here? Let's start with manufacturers. So first of all, who are these manufacturers? It might be self-explanatory, but what do they do? The key here is that they're very large, typically foreign domiciled multinational corporations. But what I think we often don't realize is that generally they're distinctly different corporations than those that we have called big pharma. Big Pharma primarily has been concerned with new brand development, which generates a lot of controversies on its own. But the ones that are the big guys in generics are either totally different corporations in most cases, or occasionally they're very distinct subsidiaries of one of the big pharma companies. So the really big guys are Teva, uh, Sun Pharmaceuticals, Mylan, which will soon be changing its name, perhaps after some of the EpiPen controversies, and they will then be called Viatris, and also Sandoz, to name a few. But each of these are so big, they manufacture hundreds to thousands of different generic drugs in their portfolios. They set a price. It's listed as the list price. But those prices, of course, are primarily influenced by the competition in supplying that actual drug. And then a really important thing is that they have to negotiate with downstream participants who can strongly influence the end drug demand. So competition is one factor relative to the price that the market will bear. You know, like this is even the Martin Shkreli story where there was a single source generic. In other words, there was only one manufacturer, Shkreli's company, that was manufacturing a generic. And once that happens, the sky's the limit or the market will bear a lot because if somebody needs the drug, they need that drug, which is defeats the purpose of basically it being a generic because they effectively can charge branded prices. Yeah, that's right. The demand situation when you get right down to one patient deciding what they'll pay for a drug is far different than other consumer decisions when they really need that drug. That's why people recognize we need to have adequate numbers of people getting involved to manufacture all of these important drugs. Otherwise, we can be held hostage. So there are suggestions that we'd like to probably have three manufacturers of most of these generic drugs. So there is a degree of price competition at the start. The factors then that we have that influence a list price, one of them is competition. And don't forget what Shkreli did relative to the single source drug and jacking up the price of the drug to exorbitant levels. He didn't go to prison for that. That was entirely legal. He went to prison because he was doing some financial shenanigans. So we've got competition, but then also it's a factor of what you said. They've got to negotiate with the downstream. And if we're talking about what the market in air quotes will ultimately bear, who do these manufacturers then sell to? You know, so that list price that you referred to, you know, if they're showing a price sheet to somebody, who are they showing it to? Well, first of all, let's remember when they've gone to Washington, they say, well, that list price, we're not getting it from any of our middlemen, so to speak. Okay. Let's look at the middlemen because they've been the subject of a lot of concern and controversy also. 
The first group, which I break down, is basically the wholesalers. These are major, really large corporations, again, and not too large in number, such as McKesson, Amerisource Bergen, Cardinal Health. I'm going to judge them to be basically more traditional middlemen. You know, many products go through a wholesaler before they reach the retailer. But in this particular case, it's not just another product. For one thing, there are a lot of different drugs. There's over 10,000 generic drugs alone. Then the drugs have to be warehoused and uh, handled logistically so that they can get them to the drugstore as they're needed. The drugstore just can't handle all of these drugs in all of this volume, but they want them available in a timely fashion. So we've got the manufacturers. They're manufacturing these pills. They send them over to the wholesalers. So now we've got the wholesalers with these giant warehouses that are, you know, pick and packing, (laughs) maybe, is what's going on there. So the wholesalers then, what happens there? Like, how does the pill get from a wholesaler to a pharmacy? Basically, through using things like barcoding, a pharmacy can keep kind of control of their inventory. If somebody comes in and needs 90 of that particular medication, they can kind of get a relative just in time to not carrying this overwhelming and confusing inventory of medications. So they're calling up a wholesaler. They're calling up, you know, McKesson, American Bergen, Cardinal Health, and they're saying, send me over 90 of those. That's right. There's nothing to say that wholesalers couldn't sell that same pill for different prices to different pharmacies. And that's the real key thing here is that we just can't get legitimate acquisition and then sale prices of the actual drugs. There's 10 different acronyms and price levels that they show us but none of them are a gold standard. The industry's opaque to all of these things. If we can get those numbers, actual acquisition and then sale price for actual drugs along the chain, then deciding whether these middlemen are playing square and taking a reasonable profit margin should be very simple. Effectively, what you're saying is when the wholesalers get a hold of these drugs, they could be charging twice as much to some independent pharmacy as they are to some chain because all of these negotiations happen in a non-transparent way. That's right. That's one reason that group purchasing organizations were formed, in my opinion, so that the little guy at least has a chance to get a price efficient price from their wholesaler. Instead of the little indies, you know, calling up McKesson and trying to negotiate a contract by themselves, there's group purchasing organizations that are exactly what their name implies. They're representing the indies in terms of what the contracted rates, in fact, are. That's right. Got it. Okay. So so basically, the acquisition cost of pharmacies across the country could vary wildly. Back in the late 60s in my dad's little drugstore, people tended to say the gold standard was the AWP, the average wholesale price. Well, in the industry, that's long been called ain't what's paid. So patient shows up in the pharmacy. If I'm a pharmacy these days, how do I set the price for this generic? If you are a cash paying patient, you will usually be quoted something called the usual and customary price, or sometimes also called the list price. The generic manufacturers already told you they're not getting their list price, but this would be the price you would be quoted. So those poor cash paying patients, if they don't know to go to GoodRx or Amazon, they're asked to pay out 
quite an inflated price. Now, all the rest of us, it'll already be in the computer who our insurance company is and all the things that have been worked out in the contract with the PBM and that pharmacy. And then they will be told what we are to pay. It may be a copay. It may be going towards your high deductible plan, or it may be a very low price But as I said, 25% of the time, that insurance price isn't your best price. The prices that patients are getting at the prescription counter are so high that some studies say a third of them or more are walking away without buying the drug. And I think it's easily 20 to 25% of them that are doing that on generics because remember, they're 90% of our drugs. And that's just tragic because these are the most affordable and accessible. There is an episode with G. Bai who gets into pharmacy list prices and, and the GoodRx business model. But in talking about the GoodRx business model, it sort of explains how this, what we're talking about right now, works in some detail. So if anyone is, is interested in sort of the nuances here, I definitely would recommend going back and listening to that show. But effectively, the pharmacy has to pick a list price that's greater than their greatest PBM contracted list price so that they don't get in trouble by violating the terms of their PBM contract. So if a patient just kind of wanders in and wants to pay the pharmacy's list price for something, it's definitely going to be pretty expensive. If they have insurance, then obviously the price that they pay is going to be subject to the PBM contracted rate. If you'll notice here, and again, there's earlier shows, there's a show with Vinay Patel where we get into this in, in again, some some depth, but the pharmacy is paying an acquisition price, which is a wholly different process than what they're being paid. So, you know, therein lies a lot of the issues that pharmacies in this country are experiencing today because... There's a, just a lot of complexity here. But at the end of the day, what it all adds up to is that the price that a pharmacy is getting paid may or may not be greater than or equal to the price that they are being charged to actually acquire the medication. You can immediately see the problem that if you're selling for less than you're buying for, that's not a great business model. <laughs> is there anything that you want to add there, Dr. Quimby? Yes, Stacy. remember the three largest PBMs, Express Scripts, Caremark, Optum, they're servicing like in excess of 75% of the PBM covered lives. Those same PBMs have tremendous sway over the other end of the whole chain, the drug manufacturers, because the fact is that generic drug manufacturer has to give enough rebates and such to get a good position on the formulary. And that will determine a lot of the demand factors and volume for their drug. So if we're talking about a formulary here, I mean, obviously, if we're talking about, you know, generic Losartan or lisinopril, are you suggesting that it's the generic manufacturer who's on the formulary? Because the drug itself, I mean, it's it's just a molecule. It shouldn't matter if, you know, if Teva or Sun manufactures it. So like if we're talking about formulary here, what are we talking about? What's on formulary? Well, basically, the generics, as you say, are on formulary, but who are they competing with? Are the brands paying enough in rebates to move up? Or, for instance, how many people are manufacturing Losartan? I mean, I've certainly seen times when, for instance, one topical steroid will be priced, although generic, much higher than another topical steroid. And they will be maybe in the same therapeutic class, but maybe they really aren't therapeutically equal at all. So you have to wonder, is that one 
really high price because the generic manufacturer isn't playing along with that PBM? Is the lower price because they got a sweetheart deal from that generic manufacturer? Why would one drug in the same therapeutic class that's generic be so much different than another generic drug? Why would that happen? You have to wonder if it's not being generated out of this industrial chain. Again, if we could just have the the numbers, although we cannot get them, they're considered trade secrets by the PBM and such, then we could really see if that's happening. Because remember, there's just such a huge volume of transactions. Not all generics are on everybody's formulary. So it may not track back necessarily to the manufacturer, although it could if that manufacturer is the only, it's the single source generic. But you may have some generics, you know, there's, I forget, six or seven generics for high cholesterol at this juncture. So one of them might be on the formulary, you know, atorvastatin might be on the formulary and not, you know, one of the other ones. That's exactly right. For instance, I have a, uh, I have a drug uh, in my book as an example. For instance, say we have a generic, atorvastatin. It settles down in a nice low price. And then we get the generic for Crestor comes out and should be a competitor to atorvastatin. And many physicians or providers may say, you know, You've had this result on atorvastatin. Let's try Crestor, see if we can improve the result. They're both generic now. We don't have to pay that high brand price. But then you go in and you find out that your PBM was, for instance, influencing the prices in some way, that atorvastatin is still dirt cheap. And the generic for Crestor, although it's a generic, is quite high. They're going to really influence patient demand. And if the physicians keep hearing that, they're even going to influence their prescribing patterns. So sort of the same thing that goes on with branded drugs, it sounds like is happening as well with generics, that if there's a certain set of manufacturers or one manufacturer that's manufacturing generic Crestor, and then you've got lots of manufacturers or something like that that are manufacturing atorvastatin, and the manufacturer of the Crestor generic is not willing to rebate as highly as maybe some of the other ones where there is competition, then even amongst the generics, you're going to have wildly varying prices. It sounds like is what you're saying. Stacy. that's sure what we see. Go on GoodRx. Look at the variations. Because remember, if you go on GoodRx and you look at all those prices at the different stores, those are all basically PBM prices. That's the only way they can give you a coupon and save you from having to pay that usual and customary price. But you'll see a great deal of variation there. Or you'll see variation among certain pharmacy providers. You have to say, are they just trying to toe the line and get this much higher price to take advantage of un? unknowing and unsuspecting patients. It's just wrong. And then say the next year, your PBM may have that really low price on your generic Crestor. Well, what's going on? This has to be contractual. If they'd give us the numbers, we could see when it happens. But that's exactly right. One of the things that you're also reminding me of is that there's been a lot of attention lately relative to branded medications being in a better formulary position than generic medications. And a better formulary position usually means a lower patient copay. Obviously, the reason there is because it's a PBM effectively maximizing their their profit margin because the branded medication is willing to pay a huge rebate. 
that a lower priced generic drug manufacturer may not necessarily be able to pay. So you have this weird situation where a PBM is encouraging vis-a-vis patient financial incentives, a patient to take a highly priced branded medication over a generic, which would be a lower total cost to the health plan. So weird. Yeah, that's right. It was kind of presumed that the PBMs could be a watchdog. But why are we having to go back and try to prove and then reclaim billions of dollars of drug costs from even the manufacturers alone if they're really doing a good job? So it sounds like, you know, one of the major themes is that there's just there's not that many entities in any of these categories. You know, we've got you mentioned Teva, Sun, Mylan, Sando, you know, so that's four manufacturers. There's three big wholesalers. There's three gigantic PBMs at this juncture. So we've got a very small number of very, very large entities. And if you're you're talking about, you know, in air quotes, competition, the smaller the number of entities, obviously, the, the harder it is to foster an environment where you can, where the free market can actually have much impact. Yeah, that's been a big concern for me, whether we have too few and they're too powerful. Because imagine as a pharmacy, are you going to say to one of these major three PBMs, no, I don't care to service any of your covered lives. Well, you have to, you know, somehow decide who you're going to deal with. And then you have to try to survive. There's tremendous clout along the chain. Yeah, for sure. As we all remember, or maybe not, the Walgreens incident where Walgreens and ESI had a falling out. And let's just say Walgreens did not (laughs) do so well. So let's just talk a little bit about if we're thinking about fixing this. So one of the things that you have mentioned and that others have mentioned, we've got Civica RX, which is a nonprofit manufacturer that is looking to fill in gaps that the market has noticed if there's a a lack of competition or a lack of manufacturers for certain important drugs, Civic RX is is coming in to, to fill that gap. We have Mark Cuban with his cost plus generic entity. What else do you want to mention as potential ways that we could overcome the challenges that we've been talking about here? One that I found intriguing, there are technologic ways. Basically, when your doctor, uh, certainly in the past, has uh, written a prescription, they don't really know what it's going to cost you. And that's, again, why I got interested and developed a passion for this issue. All of a sudden, you're getting these weird reports back from your patients that, gee, doc, it seemed like a lot different than you might have guessed it was. Well, we shouldn't be guessing. But to do that, we have to have things like the patient-specific insurance information, because remember, that's going to affect their cost at the counter. We have to know whether there are better alternatives, which that recent study showed there were 25% of the time with the cash coupon. Yeah, so it's becoming more and more common that within the EHR system, a provider can see the cost of different medications. And if they go to different 
pharmacies or they have it fulfilled different ways what the variation in price will be for that particular patient. There's an episode with Cam Huntress that gets into what that looks like. Um, so you could go back and listen to that for sure. I did also interview Sunita Desai. And one of the things that she said is that providers can actually be better shoppers for patients than a lot of times patients themselves. So by being transparent with the pricing to providers, that can go a long way in helping ensure that ultimately the, the patients are getting the best value. Okay, so we've got new entities that are coming out. We've definitely got in EHR price transparency. Anything else? There are certainly are new pharmacy benefit managers that would perhaps present that they can do a better job of using greater price transparency, but we really have to insist on it. We need these prices. How can we judge value when we don't know price? And it's so important that the payers get involved. Remember, they're paying 87% of this $360 billion drug bill each year, and they're also paying for any extra care that's needed to rectify for the 25 to 30 plus percent of the patients that just aren't even starting their treatment. Yeah, obviously the drug's getting prescribed for a reason. (laughs) If the patient's not taking it, then they're not getting optimal care for, for sure. And I think one of the key things is we need to remember Generic drug prices are so different than new brand drugs. Generic drugs are so different. We can solve the problems in generic drug pricing and not do anything that'll jeopardize new drug research and development. We just need to develop the will and the determination to to at least get the prices and start the hard work. So I'm going to add will and determination to our, our list of solutions. Dr. Stephen Quimby, what's the name of your book and where can people find it? Well, it's named Billions in Your Generic Drugs. They can look up Stephen Quimby on Amazon. They can reach me at at QuimbyMD on Twitter uh, or Stephen Quimby on LinkedIn. I'm so glad to have had the chance to talk to you about it, Stacy. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you today, Dr. Stephen Quimby. Thank you. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.